With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Jim, Jim Britt and Jim Lutz had a vision. And the Change Book series was developed. Welcome to the Change Book Radio Show with your host, Work-Life Balance Specialist, Deb Crow. Join Deb Weekly, where she interviews the top co-authors from all over the globe who share their insights into self-empowerment with life-enhancing realizations that will touch every area of your life. We're live every Wednesday on Blog Talk Radio at 1.30 Eastern Standard Time. And good afternoon, everybody. And it's Wednesday, and we are back. And I'm once again excited. I've got two amazing gentlemen from the Change Book series who have co authored. I'm going to start with Alan Witch out of Book Six. And Alan is just an incredible gentleman that I've got to know so well through the Change Book series as well as different social media platforms. Alan is sought after as a coach for his knowledge, experience, and most importantly, his perspective and platform. Alan is blessed to even be alive today. He's the recipient of five life-saving miracles, including four open-heart surgeries due to congenital heart defects performed by his friend and world-renowned cardiologist, Dr. Albert Starr and a cardiac arrest that actually left him dead for 26 minutes, which later required an implantable defibrillator pacemaker. Thousands of hours of dedication, knowledge, and experience from within the greater medical community have kept Alan alive and kept his feet humbly planted. So, Alan, I I am beyond excited to interview you because we've bantered back and forth on Facebook. So I just really want to welcome you. And the next 30 minutes, it's all about you telling us your story and about your business. So welcome. Well, thanks, Deb. I appreciate that. And it's uh, very humbling and, and uh, very appreciative to be on your show. So thank you. Thanks for reaching out. Well, it's every week, it's such an honor and a privilege for me. And I always find there's a parallel or something that connects me, connects me with the co-authors of the change, aside from us coming together as collaborative authors in this amazing book series that is now global. And one of the things that I love is, you know my background, I was a medical case manager. So just hearing your story and what you've gone through and, and, and endured, and, and you just have such a positive attitude. Do you mind just sharing a little bit of that with our listeners before we launch into our interview? Sure. Um, for those that don't know, which is probably quite a few of you, uh, I was born with a congenital heart condition, as you mentioned, and uh, uh, it's required four open-heart surgeries and uh, artificial heart valve and those happened many years ago when uh, technology wasn't quite as you know sophisticated as it, as it uh, is now, and so it was a little bit of a trial and error. And I have to admit, knock on wood, I was at a great hospital, Oregon Health Science University, one of the uh, best teaching schools in the nation. And uh, they did they did some miracles, and uh, I feel very you know fortunate to be here. Um, I've also part of my conditions required because of my irregular heartbeats that I had to be uh, shocked with you know, those external paddles that you see on a lot of the radio shows uh, 30 different times throughout my life and different episodes in addition to the ones where they had to use it uh, in the hospital uh, during my surgeries. And then about uh, not quite four years ago, I had a cardiac arrest. It was late at night and my wife performed CPR and uh, she was able to, to keep me going until the paramedics got here and then took me in the hospital, put me in cold storage. Three days later, I woke up. Uh, with some additional metal in my chest, and uh, you know, just very thankful to uh, to be here. There's a lot of times that you know the man upstairs could have just you know let me let me wither away, and he chose not to. And for that, I'm grateful. And and 
from that then has come my desire and, and uh, focus to be able to, to give back. And for a lot of years, over 20 years, I was in architecture and design hospital. So that was a good chance for me to be able to give back. And now I use some of the uh, knowledge that I've gained to be able to help benefit others. And so that's where I'm at now. Well, and I can tell you, and I, I know I've joked with you that you are my heartfelt man and everything that you <laughs> do is with gratitude and with heart, but I I truly and authentically feel your gratitude in your writing. I read your chapter. When you do all the quotes that you do on your different social media platforms, it just it really shines through to me as well as I'm sure to many others. And like you said, it's it's obviously not your time. Uh, there's there's many other things for the greater good that I think you're meant to do. So let's talk about the change. You are in book okay. six, and mm-hmm. your your chapter is titled "How to Become Relevant and Visible to a Global Audience." And I had to chuckle when I started reading it because you are a word lover like I am, and you start your chapter giving us right out right out of the gate what the definition of of relevant and visible. So my question is, what is your area of passion in business, and how did you intertwine that in your chapter for the change? Well, on the, about eight or ten years ago, uh, when I got out of architecture, I was looking at something to do, and a good friend of mine uh, who was also an architect was in network marketing. And I, you know, I didn't really want to do anything like that, or at least that was my, my ego talking, but long story short, I became involved and I was uh, involved with a couple of gentlemen that uh, brought some technology to the U S and uh, raised quite a bit of money to be able to start their, uh, their dot com. And I liked it. I loved it. I thought it was, you know, great. Um, I didn't necessarily like the, the approach, uh, because it was always a you know a, an in your face type approach, and to me that wasn't relevant. It wasn't uh, something that it, it was fishing. It was like over harvesting in a pond. Throw a bunch of lures out and see what you catch. And that's not the philosophy that I've ever used in anything I've done in business. And you, know, you get people that are coming into the industry that uh, come from a you know an employee background and don't know much about business development. And they sure didn't understand, you know, how to start a business for the most part. And there wasn't a lot of coaching and training in that. So I go, well, I need to, if I want to stay here, I need to find a way to make uh, this relevant and make somebody's life relevant. And they need to be visible. They need to be uh, out front. They need to be something that uh, people can find, uh, not not just a, a face on a on a page, but you know, due to their public artifacts, the things that they've developed and created for the greater good that help speak for them, you know, as their voice and their brand. And that's really important because it comes down to it at the end of the day, regardless of what uh, any company either markets or sells or develops or gives away, uh, there's usually somebody else out there that's got something similar. So why them over somebody else? And so that kind of became the platform. And I, uh, everything I developed is, you know, everything I do rather is to uh, earn the respect of the people that I respect. And uh, so, you know, giving back and being humble, but going beyond the obvious is something that I try to do every day. Well, and again, I I think you do that with uh, authenticity, gratitude. I it, It's certainly what I interpret from all that you put out there. I was very moved by your chapter And there's a couple of items that I'd like to point out and read from your chapter before I ask you my next question. So after we get the definition of relevant and visible, which, again, just made me have a full belly laugh because I I know you're a lover of words. (laughs) I love this this opening paragraph from your chapter, and I'd like to read it. There comes a time in the lives of those who are destined to become great – where they must ask themselves, are they living in the shadows of their own capability or are they living their life creating perpetual abundance to the magnitude they were born with and is that story being told? When I read this, Alan, it almost made me goosebumpy, and that is a word, Mm -hmm. and I, I thought, what a powerful statement, and I just, I'd love to know when you were writing this, where did that come from? 
Um, years of being thankful for the people that have really allowed me to be here. You know, all the 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 medical um, personnel, the the tremendous amount of sacrifice, uh, the work ethic, the product from both the the physicians and the medical community and their families, but also from the fact that uh, you know we kind of use our own experiences. And uh, if we're going to be transparent, and I often talk about, you know, dropping your pants transparent, not literally, but figuratively. And uh, a number of years ago, um, you know, I was fortunate I made a million bucks one year and I lost it all the same year, Um, which isn't necessarily something I like to talk about. But then again, I do talk about it. And the year that I lost it, uh, we lost our house. And I remember sitting on the... uh, in the in the office, you know, waiting for our house to be foreclosed on, and heard the doorbell ring, and uh, opened the door, and there was a member from our church, somebody that I recognized, and they had a food basket because it was holidays, and we had made the list for a food basket, and that was humbling, uh, but truth be known, needed the needed the food, you know, they had a turkey and they had a whole the whole meal, and so I thanked them graciously and and uh, closed the door, and I sat on the floor and I just started to cry because I felt like I had really failed. Um, failed my family and they didn't feel that way. They came up and, you know, gave me a hug and, and talked about, um, you know, the, how they felt and, uh, the kind of love that our families had. And, and, uh, it was extremely humbling. And from that, that was kind of the, the turning point where I said, okay, what do I have? What have I been given? What have all the resources and the experience and the tools and the sacrifices and the scars and the bumps and the bruises, what do I have? And am I doing am I doing enough with it? Am I worthy of what I do have? And so that kind of became the uh, foundation for the opening of this chapter. Well, you're making me emotional. <laughs> when I when I read those three lines, which really you know launched your chapter, uh, two things jumped out at me, which you just reiterated so beautifully. I think it makes people question two things. Am I enough? And I know for the many um, coaches that I've spoke to and mentors and authors in the change, that's always a common thread. Am I enough? Mm -hmm. And I I love the word fail because I have not yet, after 25 years of being an entrepreneur, met an entrepreneur who has not failed during the journey. And my because we love words, the word fail for me stands it stands for first attempt in learning. And I think <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the other thing that I loved that you said was, you know, you fell to your knees, you were grateful for that beautiful food basket. It just shows how you're integrated in your community and with your church, but your family didn't have that perception of you. So it was a self perception, but what's neat is what did you do? you decided to dig when when you were at a low place and find gratitude. And I, I think that's where a lot of people start their gratitude or renew their gratitude. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, it's always, you know, in a, in, a, in a fat economy, in a fat life where everything's easy and it becomes abundant, we, we take a lot of things for granted. And when those things are taken away, whether they're, you know, economic or whether they're even family, uh, we become very transparent and very in the moment and very aware of what's going on around us and what we have and what we don't have. And it really kind of sains away the fat and you look at what's there and you go, wow, you know, I'm, you know, pretty fortunate. And our society doesn't, we're fast paced. You know, we, we don't take the time to do that. And in business, that's not a you know, a characteristic that is fostered or talked about or even probably cared about. And and uh, in our home lives, there's so many things going on with connectivity that I think oftentimes we forget that. So, yeah, it's kind of a wake-up call when we have uh, struggles and challenges. But it's in those struggles and challenges that I think we grow a lot. And it's also what people see the most in us. They see the truth, the true person. And that's the person that they either like and fall in love with or, or choose not to be around, in my opinion. Exactly. I, I I fully agree with you. Now, we are a growing, powerful global community that Jim Britt and Jim Lutz have created with this amazing change book series. Tell me what excites you. 
200 authors in 22 countries and the amount of uh, collective influence and um, depth of product and depth of experience with a common goal that I think can and will change perception of, uh, of people's lives. And I know that sounds like a very big statement, but when you have a collective group of people like this with a common goal that stems outside of what they do for a living and stems outside of their family and talks about um, something that can be collective and collaborative for the greater good, I think is unique. And if you have people on, on multiple platforms and uh, multiple continents do it simultaneously, I don't think that's really been done before. Yes, there's been a lot of books and a lot of programs that are, that are worldwide, but I don't know that there's been any that have been focused like this. There's a commonality, and that commonality came before any of us knew each other. And that commonality is growing now. There's relationships that are fostered out of this, but we all came together from, we all entered a room from 200 different doors. And when we walked inside, there was this you know, secret handshake. And then we go back out through those doors, back into our own communities, and we, we express and exchange what we've learned from inside that room. And that's what excites me, to see what kind of ripple effect that has in our communities. Well, and that's what an eloquent way to say it. It's just You just painted such a unique picture. And the other thing, aside from collaboration and the vision, is I have all these new friends, and I find that very exciting. <laughs> Yeah, Jim Jim is. Lutz jokes many, many times with me, and he says, Deb, I don't think you're ever going to have to rent a hotel room again when you travel. <laughs> again, that, well, 22 that, yeah. countries. And that's great. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's, you know, that's and, awesome. Well, and being able to pick up the phone and have that mentorship among one of the co-authors and just – I just call it a huge arena or pool of just unprecedented talent that I can pick up the phone or send an email to. And I just, like you said, uh, the secret handshake, and then we go, we all went back to our own, through our own door to take that message. I just don't think powerful is, is the word I'm looking for, but the synergy and the energy of what we're doing to enhance people's lives. I just think that's the catalyst and the commonality among all of us. And just to be surrounded by positive, like-minded people, that to me is beyond gratitude. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, it's, it's a unique thing that I don't think a lot of people experience. I don't think they're taught to experience that. I don't think that in their daily activity they probably have that resource available to them. But, you know, Keith Ferrazzi talks about it in his book, uh, Never Read Alone. He's talking about in increasing his Rolodex, and he's got a Rolodex, you know, old term. I know that dates me. Uh, my kids ask what a Rolodex is, and I have to show them the one on my on my desk that I do still use. Uh, but he talks about um, increasing the, the, the connectivity of people. He's got something like 40,000 people in his Rolodex that he can call at any given time and either, either ask for something or give something without any um, hesitation. And, and that's effort. That's work. But look what it provides for the greater good. It's just, it, it's an amazing, uh, amazing thing to do. Oh, I fully, I fully agree. And I still have a Rolodex if that makes you feel any better. <laughs> and, and, and so, and, and some cassette tapes. Oh, I, yeah. I have nothing to play them on though. That's the problem. <laughs> Tell me what you think is one challenge that you see in people that your talents address. And if, if I could just maybe add kind of a part two to that question, I'd love for you to answer it, but also relate it back to network marketing, because I'd like to go back to something you said after this question at, uh, when you're done this answer. Okay. I think one of the biggest challenges that uh, people have is really being able to talk about excuse me uh talk about themselves and talk about how their life is relatable um what that really means and and what kind of value does that have and i know that's not something that we grow up we're more creative when we're young and that creative creativity kind of gets bred out as we grow older so having that creativity 
um, means also being a good student. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges as we grow. We're no longer students. We're no longer learning. Um, most of our jobs don't require us to learn anything outside of what the job requires. And we become, you know, we fulfill an obligation of, of that position rather than the obligation of the person. And, you know, we caught up, get caught up in that. And when we venture out on our own, uh, whatever that might be, if we even choose to, you know, we do, we're not in the habit of learning anymore. And I think when you, when you don't learn anymore, then you become stagnant, obviously, but then so does your perspectives and your knowledge base and the value that you offer becomes stagnant and almost incestual, if you will, because it's nothing more than a collection of past experiences. So I think being a, a consummate student is the uh, number one priority and number one challenge. So let's take that one step further because I love what you said about network marketing and it's a divided approach. And I think it gets a bad rap, if I can say that, because of what you said. Mm -hmm. I think some people approach it, like you said, in your face, that over-harvesting. They get too excited about just trying to be simple. To me, and give me your opinion, I think network marketing is effective communication and relationship marketing. It's no different than anything else. Yeah, no, I agree. And that simple statement is hard for a lot of people to swallow because it's not how they normally operate during their day. It is a relationship business, um, but it's changing, and it's changing for the better. Um, pretty soon we're not going to be buying cars on, on you know, five-acre lots. We're going to be buying them from a friend. Uh, we're not going to be buying our groceries at the store. We're going to be buying them from a friend. Uh, or somebody that we, that we respect. And this is happening all over because companies are looking at ways to reduce their their liability and their overhead, and they're using the, the one-on-one communication. There's no better way to market someone, something than through uh, positive, you know, acclamation from somebody else. It's like when you go to the movies. If you like a movie, tell your friends about it. Well, the same in, in, in network marketing, but that's not always the way that it's been portrayed. And then the next thing is, well, you know, why you over me? You know, there's so many people out there marketing the same product, and why would I market it from you? That particular uh, question, I don't believe, has been answered very well, and that's the the niche that I see um, that, that is a great opportunity and one that I'm trying to fill. Why you over somebody else? And that comes down to the individual person, who they are, their character, and what they give, and that's what people will follow because the product or service that may or may not stick around, but the person will always be around. So if you can develop your tribe, if you will, um, that's the way to do it by people following the person. And then they'll follow that person everywhere, regardless of what they do or offer. That's my thought anyway. Well, and again, interesting concept. And I think sometimes the way people uh, choose to communicate, especially email, messages can be misconstrued and then they're not perceived. And I know Jim Britt and Jim Luke often say, get out from behind the computer, go meet some people, shake some hands. Let's get back to networking 101 in the old days when we had the Rolodex and we had the, the cassette player. And I'm being facetious, but, I mean, my message here is I think the new generation, the millennials forward, the networking, the face-to-face communication, I think it's kind of falling the wayside. I'm seeing a lot in Canada, and I'd love to know your opinion and, and how how you see we can fix it. Well, I think it is a, a – I don't want to say it's a, a problem or a challenge. I think it's a societal thing. I think because of social media and our technology, it's allowing us to do what Faith Popcorn talked about a number of years ago in her book is we're cocooning. We're doing things at home now or, or that we used to have to go out and do. If I wanted to talk to my friends when I was younger, I had to get on my bike, you know, or write a letter. <laughs> so there was always anticipation. And then anticipation, that part of, of communication and, and such is gone now because connectivity is, you know, 100% present at all places and at all times for just about everybody. Uh, so it makes it more – it takes the, uh, the, the challenge out of connecting and I think the responsibility – shallowly out of connecting but i think that causes another problem and that causes uh communication and and lack of 
common thinking and a, and a real big lack of creativity. When you put people in a room, uh, they come up with things. If you put them on the phone, they chat about things. And, you know, how do, how do we fix that? Well, part of, part of that will be with technology. We'll get to the point to where it is real and we can connect with somebody, you know, across the world as if they're in the same room. Uh, that should not be an excuse, though, for having coffee, you know, eyeball to eyeball with somebody. And I think that that goes back to the family and it goes back to the schools and it goes back to our professions. Whatever those might be, whether you're a blue-collar worker or white-collar worker, red people, you know, blue, black, whatever the case may be, if our industry fosters the value of eyeball to eyeball, then I think that'll perpetuate down through everything we do. But if that doesn't become a value or a perceived value, then I think it's going to be a going to be a long time. And nobody likes change. Companies don't like change. People don't like change. They fear it. They don't fear necessarily what what could come from it, they fear, they fear the, the loss of their comfort zones. And when things change, and when somebody else does something that changes your life, you don't, you're not comfortable with that. So I, I think it's something that's easily, easily modified, but it's got to be a common thread across all borders. Well, and I agree with you. And again, you know, I have to say I'm, I'm one of those people that love change, just like public speaking, right? I was yep. the one that always I was always the one in, in elementary school who wanted to go first when all the other kids were hiding and biting their nails and so I love change and I love the change book series. How's that for a segue? That's fantastic. Nicely done. So let me ask you, we have so many co authors from so many countries. Where where are you at right now with your business? Do you have a local, national, international presence? And if so, how do you see the change just further embellishing that? Um, local, national and international. Um, even though I'm I'm new in, in in the the way I'm marketing now, my cardiac arrest of few years ago changed how I coach and, and how I work and I have to do a lot of things online now and I do that for two reasons um, one so that uh, if something happens to me my product and service is out there for people to be able to use whether I'm present or not and if something happens and I pass away then that system provides for my family so that um, that is important to me um, you know the book is a fantastic. I think this is this is a misunderstood piece about uh, about books, and I think it just comes with education. The book can make money if you want to sell it. That's fine, um, but that's not really the value. The biggest value of the book. The biggest value of the book is its calling card. It's a you know here's uh, something that I do. Here's a collective value that can be used, and I think marketing that as a, a giveaway, using it as something to increase your credibility to increase your exposure. I think that's um, what Jim and Jim had in, in mind when they did this is the collective exposure and the value of this book being, you know, just gotten out into the public and, uh, you know, being read and, and being used and having that influence. And what does that do to someone's business? Well, it can do many things. It not only increases your your collective creativity, it includes and increases your um, collaboration and uh, your, you know, your relatability and you know your experiences and your credibility, and that, if leveraged correctly, can do amazing things for your business. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just using the book. And I don't want to say just using the book, but I'm using the book as a as a marketing tool, and it adds to my credibility. It adds to that collection of public artifacts that that creates my brand. You know, my brand's not necessarily the logo that somebody's come up with. It's the collection of uh, the things that I've given away, the things that I do. This radio show, this interview is, is part of my public artifacts. It's part of your public artifacts. It's how people get to know you, get to know your character and uh, who you are. And, you know, a, a book, a collective book does that. I mean, any kind of book does that, but the collective book, because there's so many things in common. And uh, exactly. it, it is, it, it's, a great, it's a great tool. Well, Alan, I, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, it's been a joy spending the last 
30 minutes with you. I'm I'm going to keep challenging you with wordsmithing and being savvy <laughs> as you are with words. I look forward to getting to know you better. It's truly an honor to be a co-author with you. It's even more of a pr- privilege for me to call you my friend. I want to let folks know they can get a hold of you on your website, which is alanwitch.com. Mm-hmm. And like you said, most of your information is online. And I want to leave a quote that I, I wanted to find for you to let you know how you've impacted me and I'm sure many of the readers who have read uh, book six in the change in your chapter. So I will leave you with this, and I hope you'll stay tuned for the next half of the show. So I wish you all the best in your health, and I look forward to potentially sharing the stage with you one day. Wonderful, Deb. Thank you very much. And uh, I, too, am humbled and grateful that uh, you asked me to be on your show. And I think some great things are ahead, and I can't wait to further this relationship. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. You take care, and I'll leave you with this quote. And I want to dedicate this to you, Alan, for all that you've endured with your uh, medical history. And I quote, and it's from Ranjit, Sometimes the heart knows things the mind could never explain. So on that note, we're going to wrap up with Alan. And Alan, again, thank you, and we will talk to you soon. Great. Thank you much. Bye, Deb. Bye-bye. So just an intriguing, powerful interview with Alan Witch from Book Six. And I just think it is just a great role model that he is and, and everything he's endured with his health. And I just, I really, really enjoyed my time with Alan. So I'm going to move into our next guest, and it's a pleasure for me to have an author from the Change Book series from Book 7, and his name is Clay Nelson, and Clay is a leadership development specialist. He is an executive mentor, and he is the founder of Clay Nelson Life Balance. This is a firm that's specializing in empowering leaders to reach their greatest potential in both their professional and personal lives. For more than 35 years, the core of Clay's personal and professional philosophy has resolved around work-life balance and accountability for learning, growing, and empowering others. So, Clay, are you with us on the line? I'm here. Welcome. It is just such an honor for me, and you and I have some synergy. We're going to talk about work-life balance, my favorite topic. Yeah, I've been talking about that for about, uh, I don't know, I started coaching 37 years ago, and it was, it was before the word coach was even, you know, coined, and uh, and then life balance came in about 20 years ago. Well, I, I'm excited to spend the next uh, 30 minutes or so with you. So sure. your your chapter is in book seven. Mm-hmm. And could you maybe tell the listeners what was exciting for you about writing your chapter? And we're going to talk about it in a minute, but what was your final decision to decide to become part of this global movement? Well, when Jim and Jim called me, uh, which was a cold call out of nowhere, I didn't even know who they were. And... Um, after we talked for a while, I, I actually interviewed them because I've been called many times to do lots of things over my years, and uh, found out they were real and great people, wonderful people. And I decided, okay, I'll take part in this. And uh, I decided at my age and what I'm doing, and I hadn't really decided to come out of retirement yet, I decided I was going to write something that I would give back to everybody, you know, the main grit of what I learned over 35, 40 years of living and making a difference for people, and that's what this is. If you really take on everything this says in this one three- or four-page document, you could have a great life. Or if you take on the CDs I've got that pretty much add up to the same thing, or the MP3s you can get on the net, and, and just kind of live the way they speak and get in touch with nature at the same time, uh, boy, you wouldn't have any trouble at all. You even have your kids talking to you until you're old. Well, that is that is very well said, and and I love the way that you've 
you've brought and threaded the balance in. And like you said, you've got decades of coaching experience. So tell me where your area of passion is. I know it's work-life balance. How how have you thread that into your coaching, and, and what are you finding is the biggest barrier that you see with your clients? Well, it's pretty much the same all the time. Don't Please don't hear me like I, I think everybody's the same. I don't. But overall, everybody's trying to make enough money to get somewhere. And it's not about the money. It's about the smiles in your heart. It's about the love you have for people and mankind. It's about the time you take with your kids and your wife or your husband. It's about the church you go to. It's about the difference you make for someone else you don't even know. It's about the people you talk to in the grocery store line. It's about, you know, uh, if you're driving down the road, actually be present to your driving. You know, a lot of people get to work and they don't remember driving. So it's not about the money you make. And if you want money, you know, I'll show you how to make all the money you could ever spend. But that's not it. So it's all about having an actual plan to have the life you want. And I found that over the years, when people call me up, and all kinds of people call me up, they hear things, you know, so they call me up and they go, I hear you did this and this and this for Joe Blow across the street. And I go, yeah. And I said, "Um, what is it you want? And they say, well, I want you to do the same thing for me. I said, well, who are you? And what, you know, what's the final product you'd like me to produce? And they can't speak it. They can't write it. They don't know. They just know they're not happy where they are. So I have to start from ground zero and start teaching them how to language what they want. And that always starts off with either not being their father or not being their mother or forgiveness somewhere. And it's always the same thing. It's a blast. I absolutely love what I do. I mean, I sit up on the hills here in Montana and look out over the forest and watch the sun come up and just think about all the things I've done. And I've done some pretty good stuff. Didn't know I was going to be able to do it when I was a little kid. But now sitting up here as a white hair, I'm doing okay. Well, I love looking at your picture because I can tell from the smile on your face that you are exuding gratitude and having a good time. Yeah. And I know I know that you are an experienced entrepreneur. You are an executive business coach. And you've also done some workbook guides on some other topics. And I would love for you to let the listeners know some of the other writings and, and CDs that you've done to, to share your movement and education on the various topics. Yeah, I've got um, on, on my internet page, www.claynelsonlifebalance.com, you can get all my CD series over the years. It's all on MP3s now. I'm not the techie. I've got a techie that works for me that does all that. But you can go there and get everything. A lot of it's for free. So um, uh, where's my book? Well, I know um, I know from reading your chapter in The Change, and I'm going to yeah. quote a couple of items in a little bit, but I know that you've done several workshop guides on business planning, marketing, leadership, oh, yeah. my favorite, work-life balance, as well as personal and business accountability. Now, I love what you said. If I was always taught by my Irish nana that <laughs> if I if I just followed what I did, Clay, and I just really gave 150% and I just had that tenacity and passion and grit, I've always done what I've loved, and the money mm-hmm. has always come. Mm-hmm. The money yeah, the love affair comes. you have with your life, if you actually live what your heart speaks, your life will be great. And I learned Absolutely. that. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I was a Vietnam vet for a long time, or still am, but uh, I came home pretty bent. And to get straight, I had to learn forgiveness. I mean, that's the only thing you can do. And uh, in learning forgiveness, I learned to forgive my dad, learned to forgive my mom. I mean, my older brother, he, you know, he's he's six foot five, weighs 300 pounds, and he used to have fun dislocating my shoulders every day, every weekend on the front lawn. And um, so I had to learn to forgive everybody so I could have a life. And out of doing that, all kinds of things came to me, and I started writing about it. So, you know, I have um, books that help 
young people, older people, get through their stops, all right? And I have the same CDs. And then I put together uh, a, just a thought book on, on no matter how you feel in the morning when you get up, I have a book that you can go to and go to the glossary and look for how you're feeling and then go to the book and it says what to do about it. It's pretty cool. I had a lot of fun putting that together. And it's just an old guy just giving back to all the youngins uh, what to do with how they're feeling. And you don't well, need to go to psych. You don't need to go to a psychologist. You don't need to go get you know your head sh- shrunk all, all over the place. You, you don't need to learn a new language. You don't need to go back to college. It's all about getting a smile on your face. How am I well, doing? Well, you are doing fantastic. So. <laughs> You know, I, I had a radio my... show myself for three years. I've never been interviewed. I've always been the interviewer. Well, so am I the first person to interview you? In my whole life, yes. <gasps> well, how lucky am I? There, there's a milestone for me, Clay. Yeah, it, it's very, if you want the truth, it's very scary. I'm going, oh, God, she's going to ask me something I don't know the answer to. Well, and you know what? The fun part is we have this amazing flowing conversation, and it just, it, it, it lands up being what it's meant to be, which yep. which is in line with how you write your chapter. If I can just talk about your chapter for a minute. So you sure, are in book seven of The Change, mm-hmm. and your title of your chapter is How to Live a Happier, Healthier, More Productive Life, Little Changes That Make a Big Impact. That's very, it. very powerful title. And And if I may... You have listed some amazing compensatory strategies about creating balance in your life. So again, as your as your fellow work life balance specialist, it's not about the message, it's about how you're perceiving it and implementing it. That seems to be the flow and consistency through your chapter. Yeah, it's respectfully it's what you believe. And you know, it's what people believe they run their life around. So I, my job is to find out what their belief systems is and then find a way to plant seeds so they change those belief systems. I don't change them. They do. You're, you're the coach. You're the one, you're the one leading them. And well, let's we just get... say I contribute to them without leaving my name on them. Exactly. You got That's it? That's powerful. I got it. That's powerful. Yeah, cool. I mean, I, I mean I, to be the truth, honey, I, you know, like you used the word compensatory. I don't even know what the hell that means. So, I, I mean, I, I, I'm just so boy that, that I'm just able to read people, and I read them. And if they ask me a question, and I can help them, I help them. And I learned a long time ago, you know, they won't do their homework for free, so I charge them. It's pretty simple. Well, I, let me tell you what let me tell you what compensatory means because <laughs> Alan always Alan Witch always teaches me new words so now I yeah. get to pay it forward and teach you a new word All and right, Alan's listening so that's why I wanted to put that little joke in so mm-hmm. compensatory means it's it's an intention to recompense someone who has experienced loss suffering or an injury is that so, rebuild is that make better is that Absolutely, and you reduce okay. you you reduce or help eliminate anything that has been unpleasant or unwelcoming that has affected their being. Yeah, see, I mean, just so you understand, uh, the last interviewee you were with, I mean, it was great to listen to, but you guys were using a language I don't speak. Uh, I I speak from a place of sitting around, and I'm snowed in, and I'm sitting around a campfire with a bunch of old boys. And we have one whiskey bottle that we sip out of, and we just talk about things. You know what I mean? And compensatory is one word that's used. And you know what I love about that, Clay? What's that, ma'am? I I love that this book has brought over 200 authors from 22 countries, and we're all going to help lift each other up, support each other. And like Alan said, we have to be lifelong learners. So... I'm happy that I'm going to learn a lot from you. You're going to learn a lot from me. Oh, and yeah. Then we've, got a, we've got almost 200 more people in our Oh, arena. yeah. Oh, and I've read book seven. I've learned a lot from book seven. I haven't gotten the other books yet, but I'm going to. And if you just take your time and read from the books, it, it is fantastic. Plus, i got to tell you straight up, uh, maybe a lot of men aren't going to like this, but just about everything I've learned that's worth a hoot, 
uh, I've learned from women. And just about everybody in book seven is female. I, I, I was looking in there. I'm going, geez, I'm almost all by myself in here. You're in really good funny. company. You're in good oh, yeah, company, absolutely. Clay. So anyway, you know, I, I don't, I really think that guys like me and guys and young ladies like the other ladies in the book and everything else coming together like this with these books that, and the idea that Jim and Jim has put together is an absolutely phenomenal idea. It'll put everything together in one place, and everybody has somebody to talk to, somebody to, you know the word clearing, somebody to clear with when they're stuck, and somebody to move on when they don't know what to do, and somebody to, to learn from that they don't have to go back and take a college class. I mean, it's quick, it's easy, and it's uh, non-threatening. I, I think it's just the best idea that could ever be done. I mean, well, that's I from an old guy. You'd... You just answered my next question. I don't even have to ask you. I I fully agree with you. And, and to yeah. know that Jim Britt is a phone call and an email away, and Jim yeah. Lutz is a phone call and an email away, just yeah, to be mentored. Yeah. You know what, Clay? They are real people. And I, yeah, they, like I have said to Alan, I, I'm enjoying seeing the diversity of skill sets and education and experience mm-hmm. among all the authors. And like Jim Lute says, you have to reach out. We already have the commonality of, of being in the book. So all mm-hmm. you have to do is reach out. How are you, have you met some of the co-authors through a phone call or an email, or how are you going about it? I have I've sent some emails. Uh, I've got uh, about 12,000 followers on Twitter, and so that's starting to bring some of them out. I'm just starting to get you know, involved in that. Um, so I haven't met any of them yet, but it is my intention to do so. You know, well, it's like uh, it's like you get to be 70 and you go, okay, what do you want to do when you grow up? And, uh, and I'm going, okay, I thought I wanted to retire, but I, I lasted two and a half years and I started vibrating to death. And so I'm, I got my business going again, let my phone number out again, and now I've got lots of stuff going on here in Montana. And I'm going to go open up uh, Bozeman, Montana. And so I'm talking to all kinds of people and doing all kinds of things with great people and showing them what I know and helping them as best I can because, you know, almost all of them are half my age. So it's really a fun thing to do. And then here comes this book. So I've got these youngins that I can read about and the youngins that I can contribute to. So it's just fun all over the place. My wife and I are having a blast. I mean, I've been married to the same woman for 40 years, and it's just absolutely the most fun I've ever had. So, you know, it's a full-on dance. Plus, I, you know, I, I spoke all over the place for years in every state in the Union, in Germany, all over the world, and uh, uh, just had a great time. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that gets up on stage, I have a louvelier, and I end up out in the audience. You know, I don't stay behind a, a speaking desk, you know, and um, people love it. So it's all about just shooting straight and talking from being in the country, and it's all about, you know, just letting people know that they're okay. Well, and I love I love your excitement. I love your energy. <laughs> and 40 yeah. years of marriage is miraculous and amazing. I'm 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 on my way. I'm only halfway. I'm 23 years. And Good for you. You're, you know, um, marriage is like anything else. You have to work at it every day. It's like a bank account. You can't just keep withdrawing, right? Yeah, it's a full-time job. I mean, you know, Susan came to me. We lived for 31 years on the beach in Santa Barbara, and uh, one day she came to me and says, I think it's time to move. I said, oh, really? And uh, about two months later, I'm, I'm in Bozeman, Montana, living up 7,000 feet. <laughs> and I'm saying, how's this, dear? Is this okay? And she goes, yeah, this is I like this. So, I love it. Well, Clay, oh, yeah. I I would like to read a little bit from your chapter. Um, sure. I read your chapter. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And there was one specific uh, paragraph that I really loved that resonated with me, and I'd love to read it for the readers. Okay. So this is this is from Clay's chapter. Think about the change you encounter in this way. You are looking through a kaleidoscope. You first see a pattern, but with the tiniest twist to the right or left, the entire picture changes and results in a new surprising design. 
change is the only constant you can truly rely on. You have to manage it in order to take the opportunity opportunity of change and keep your commitment to living a health, healthier, happier, more productive life. I love the metaphor and the vision you you painted in your words with the kaleidoscope, and I'd love for you just to talk about when you were writing this play, where did that come from? Well, if you're mentally together and and you're, I can only speak from being my age, 71, you know, if you're mentally together and you've had a good life and you're still healthy and, you, you know, you're doing all the things that I've done, you kind of look back and you, you think about how did I get to all those different places and end up where my feet are, you know what I mean? And it's all about how I managed change, how things came about, who I met, what happened, who said what, what speech I gave that just turned my life around, what what did I say up on stage that lit me up on stage uh, so much so that I changed how I did my work, changed how I lived my life, changed how I was in relationship with the Lord, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, when you think about what changes come about, and not so much why they come about, but the ones you can see. See, a lot of things come at you that you can't see yet because you're not ready. And, um, but the ones you can see, if you, if you just kind of get in the canoe and float down the stream, uh, life turns out to be pretty darn good. We only got one little problem. Is it scarier than heck? And fear stops people. So you got to Get excited, learn to get excited about fear instead of being stopped by fear. And that's really hard to do. So you got to find somebody, a coach or a minister or somebody that can talk you through being stopped by fear and then get on onto it, get up on the horse and, and say, okay, hit it, bud. Let's see where you're going to go. How's that? Clay, you know, you know what I'm loving the most about this interview? Well, of course, I'm the first person that's ever interviewed you in your <laughs> young youth of 71 years. Yes, you're ma'am. just very you're very simplistic in your in your recommendations, in your views. And isn't that what people want? They understand quickly, yes. See, I know, I, I've never wanted to spend a lot of time with people. I never wanted to be, you know, somebody I was being paid to coach. I never wanted to be my best friend. I wanted to have respect for me and me have respect for them. But, you know, a lot of folks I, I didn't want to have dinner with or go fishing with, you know what I mean? Um, but I did want to honor who they were and get things done quickly and move on. So uh, you have to learn to speak English and just be straight. I, I don't. I, there's not much more I can say about that. Well, and I, mean, I think a lot of people gravitate to simplicity. They don't want. My dad used to say to me, "You don't need all the bells and whistles. Just get back to the basics." Yeah. I. I, I may I ask you a question? Absolutely. Uh, I, I I heard you say something in the last interview about something about you didn't like about simplicity and and I'm boy I raised the hackles up on the back of my neck and I do you remember saying that and what you meant by that when I was I talking to, to Alan spot, when I was talking to Alan yeah Alan yeah what was what was the context what were we talking about you you uh, I'm sorry I, I don't remember it was just the the words I guess because uh, I've I spent my entire career keeping it simple, uh, in all my talks, in all my coaching, in all my writings, just keeping it simple. So anybody, I don't care how old they are, if they're over 12 years old, they'd understand what I was saying. Well, and it's interesting you say that because uh, when I had my medical case management practice and we had mm-hmm. to write our reports, even though we, you know, most of my colleagues were university educated, we were asked and recommended to write our reports at a grade seven level because that's where people get it. They want the bare bones, layman's terms, so that anybody can read it, interpret it, process it, and not have to look back and go, what are they saying? Yeah. So I I fully agree with you. 
Yeah, I remember many, many times I'd be up on stage talking about a topic. It could have been finance. It could have been marketing. It could have been just about anything. And I'd be thinking ahead of myself, so I, I would speak myself easy in language instead of what I, I had read about, you know, where I'd speak it down to sixth grade, seventh grade. And I got so I was really good at doing that. That transference was really easy for me to do. And I tell you, at the end of those talks, I'd have a line of people, you know, 25 to 35 people long wanting to talk to me individually. And we'd get thrown out of the room because the next guy had to come in and set up for his talk, you know. Uh, but that's where all my clients came from. I mean, I had more work than I could ever do. And it's, just, it's not because I was so smart. It's because I just spoke. You know, like I just spoke English, and in Germany it was a blast. In Germany, I had interpreters that that uh, could interpret as fast as I spoke, and they and when I spoke English. The German people loved it, so I had all kinds of great clients in Germany for quite a while. Well, and I so it's that's it's your that's enthusi- I learned, it's, that all people are the same. Absolutely, and it's your enthusiasm. There's another passage out of your chapter that I would really love to read, and sure. it's interesting that you you ended your chapter on this. So I'd like to I'd like to read it for our listeners. Please. Each moment in your life, every move you make creates change, and change is something you should look forward to. After all, it is change that shows you what you don't know, and it is at that point where learning truly begins. So in the face of whatever change life brings your way, create your own opportunities for fun, family, and financial freedom, and watch your world bloom with happiness, laughter, success, love, joy, friendship, and security. Watch your life become happier, healthier, and more productive. Yeah, let me add one thing to that. To be able to do that, your head has to be where your feet are all the time. In other words, when you're at home and your head's at home, pardon me, your feet is at home, your head has to be at home. Do you understand that? Your head can't be some other place. That's right. You need to be in sync. And just another important element from your chapter, Mm -hmm. saying saying and doing are two different things. But if you really want to commit to change, especially work-life balance, Yes. You've got to get you've got to get that pen in hand and write it down. That's right. You have and to you free the mind. You talked about that. You talked about yeah. that, and there's research that goes along with that. And mm-hmm. I don't think you can s- simply start creating a plan like you talk about in your mind if you can't picture the change. And then you've got to write down your goals and and again have those affirmations, those those scripts that you say over and over again aloud. Well, even more than that is you can't get to what you don't know if what's in your mind is what you do know. So you have to write down what you don't know, I mean, pardon me, what you do know, and empty your head out so it can be what it's supposed to be, and that's a creative tool for your future. Absolutely. Pretty so good, huh? I'll, I'd like, I, hey, you know, I have to tell you, <laughs> in Canada, because I live in beautiful Canada, yeah. I would like to let you know that our population for our country, for the first time in history, the highest percentage of elderly people now populate our beautiful country because people are living longer. Yep. And what do you, why do you think people are living longer? And we've well, got about a minute left, so. Well, one, because they want to. Uh, two, because they're eating healthier. Three, because the the work they're doing, they love, they don't want to retire. I mean, what are you going to do when you retire? You sit around, vibrate to death, and die. So, I mean, there's, they want to stay alive. They they want there's things to do out there. They want to be a part of it. It's it's all about staying healthy, and you can't stay healthy if you're sitting around watching television, smoking a cigar. Sorry, it doesn't work. Exactly. Well, Clay, I want to yes, thank ma'am. you for your time. I want to wish you continued success, mm-hmm. and I'd like to leave you with a quote, and we will end our show for today, and we'll be back next week. So, Clay, this is for you. Thank you. It is a quote, it's a quote by Oliver Holmes, and he says, quote, A mind that is stretched by a new experience can never go back to its old dimensions. 
Right on. So on that note, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will be back next week live at 1.30 Eastern and, again, featuring the amazing co-authors from The Change. Have a great week, everybody, and thanks again to Alan Witch from Book 6 and Clay Nelson from Book 7. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.